Intranet is, uh, is ready to rock and roll. We're ready to start the first panel of the day. Uh, and as we begin the panel and start to bring our panelists on stage, uh, we just want to remind everybody again, our charter members, to reach out to Jennifer if there's any contacts out here. If you saw any of our speakers on stage that you felt were relevant to your opportunity, that were relevant to your offering, and you didn't get their business card, remember that as a charter member of the Family Office Club, you can just reach out to our client services division, let us know the individual's name, and we'll make sure to provide you with their email address, okay? We're here to support you. We're here to make sure that you guys are making the connections that you traveled here to make. Uh, so just make sure to really utilize our services, utilize our team, and utilize the charter member portal. Uh, the first panel of day two will be private investor focus, a discussion of the advantages and trade-offs of being focused on two to three niche areas for direct investment allocations. And once again, uh, where, where, where's, uh, where's Cliff? Great, excellent. If we can give a big round of applause to Cliff Oberlin, our panel moderator today. Thank you, Andres. Uh, good morning, everyone. I'm Cliff Oberlin, uh, based here in Miami. Uh, we have a, about a hundred-year-old family office, single-family office, uh, ten actually uh, operating companies through the years. We have four of them currently uh, operating, and we have a, a multi-family office here in Miami, a RAA broker-dealer, and we serve 14 families around the world. Today we have our, our panelists, and I'm going to start today. You have a nice description in your booklet uh, of the panelists, but we're gonna have them take two minutes and just uh, introduce themselves, and then we're gonna go into uh, a series of questions. So if you'd like to start us out, Alejandre. Hi guys, thank you. Hello, hello. Excellent. All right, well thank you everyone for coming. Uh, my name is Alejandro Laplana. I'm the CEO of Shockworks, and uh, our approach to angel investing relies almost exclusively on product as a syndicated form of capital contribution in addition to capital from our partners. Um, we operate in a host of industries but focus very strictly on thesis. We have uh, about 250 people on staff full time and about 34 portfolio companies right now and uh, yeah, happy, happy to, to discuss here. Well, hi, everybody. Good morning. My name is um, James Sowers, um, Sowers Family Investments, um, somewhat known for angel investing and um, blockchain and crypto. Hello, Dan Galvanoni, DPG Investments. Uh, we're a multi-strategy private equity merchant banking and family office. Um, we put out about We've been a capital provider for the last 15 years. We've put out about $2 billion across a broad range of strategies. We've done some very large transactions. We just completed the largest deal in Midtown Atlanta in the last 25 years, a real estate deal, $136 million, and we did the largest real estate development deal in Tennessee ever, $2.5 billion. And my, my family's claim to fame, my father was behind a company called Telzon. Uh, we took 80% uh, global market share in the handheld barcode reading space. Um, we bought 23 companies along the way and we sold that company um, in 1999. We created a dual family office and then I extended that, that business. We have um, 
some of the Forbes 10 and 20 families partnering with us, as well as large institutional investors. So we're here today to network and looking for deal flow um, and specialty credit, distress, real estate, and lower middle market. Um, I'm Gene Soltero. I'm an MIT-trained economist, uh, operations research, and risk analysis of investments. I've spent about 45 years in oil and gas, mostly at the uh, COO, CEO level. Um, and I've done a lot of oil and gas investing personally and in my co corporations. Uh, the oil and gas stuff you can find on, on LinkedIn and on our website. But I've also done a little bit of personal investing, uh, some in oil and gas, but banking, uh, biotech. Uh, I did some websites in the 90s. I managed to buy a tanker load of diesel fuel one time. I bought it from Atlantic Richfield. And I sold it to a Swiss-based trading company that was owned by three ta Pakistani brothers. Can't believe I ever got that deal done. <laughs> uh, right now, uh, I'm interested in and, and invested in time and money in a little high-tech startup that's doing uh, predictive analytics in capital markets. And I'm mostly doing that because I'm interested and intrigued by their oil price model. Good morning. My name is Chanel Peterson. I'm from the U.S. Virgin Islands Economic Development Authority. And we offer attractive tax incentives for businesses like yourself. 90% reduction in corporate income tax, 90% reduction in federal personal income tax, and 100% exemption in gross receipts, excise tax, and business property tax. We are America's business paradise. And we are open for business, and we are hoping for your business. Thank you. Thank you. Quite a diverse panel here. And I think maybe just to follow along after your introduction, if you could please be more granular here, more specific, and state as clearly and specifically as possible what exact type of investment deal, fund, or type of deal flow you're looking to source by speaking here on stage today. And of course, the more specific, the better. Alejandro? Great, so um, just to, you know, in order for us to look at a deal, we, we're, we're activists, so we have to add direct value to a specific deal. So we're looking for entrepreneurs that have been successful in uh, more analog, traditional industries and that there are opportunities to disrupt through mobile-first digitization, data analytics, and or the blockchain. Those are the type of deals that we look for. We're industry agnostic, um, but really we rely heavily on pivoting them into a very strong digital product focus. Thank you, Alejandro. Alejandro is an angel investor, and now from the Sauer family office, Jamie? I am. Yeah, I'm kind of looking for stuff that has a potential monopoly. So a lot of times things that are non-obvious that seem like bad ideas, but are actually great ideas. Because I kind of look at you got to go where the consensus isn't in order to um, get outsized returns. And another reason for me coming here was to meet all the great people here and to expand my circle of competence. Because most of my investing has been in startups and in um, crypto and a little bit of real estate, but not much. And um, I'm trying to um, expand and meet people to go into other areas also. Thank you, Dan. 
we believe we're going into a changing environment. So we're positioning ourselves um, to be able to uh, capture that. Uh, generally, we like real estate, all asset classes. Um, we have a lot of capital for that. Um, we like uh, you know, distressed assets uh, that we can go in and figure them out. And we could even put our own management teams in. Um, we don't like venture capital. We're not too interested in that. We like infrastructure, project finance. I mean, we have a very broad mandate. Um, we've worked very hard uh, over the last 10 years diversifying our investor base. So we're, uh, we're looking to back strong management teams um, or other families and looking for scalable opportunities um, that we can put a lot of money to work. Uh, so we're, we're uh, interested in credit as well, esoteric specialty credit, specialty credit platforms, uh, energy, project finance, if you have off-take agreements with uh, strong counterparties. Um, we're pretty much open for business if, if, if you have something that can make money and the risk can be structured in an effective manner. Thank you. Gene? Uh, I'm looking for early stage oil technology, uh, particularly oil technology that's based upon complexity science. The U.S. Virgin Islands is looking for hotel development, financing servicing companies, and high-value manufacturing. Our program requires $100,000 in investment, and from financial companies, only five employees. Five of those employees would need 80% would need to be locals and 20% off-island. That is our investment. Thank you. Many investors start with a more generic focus and then learn to focus more after deals go wrong. And they can't step in, add strategic value, or they feel locked in with their practical options and making the deal right. Was this your path, or were you always laser-focused on one, two, three niche areas of investment? So, yeah, actually, when I started, I was really just hemorrhaging capital and time because I was chasing deals indiscriminately. So that taught me to really just build very strong teams, a very strong infrastructure by which deals would come to us. And then we were very, very selective as far as what our thesis was and, you know, got more granular over time. Yeah, I try to be um, opportunistic because you never know where the next wave is going to be. If sometimes if you become too much of a fixed mindset, you'll miss something like before crypto became big when they called them crowd sales, before they even called them ICO, a lot of people, you know, just kind of dismissed it and then it really took off more than anybody thought. And also in the last 10 years, diversification really hasn't worked as well. Most people would have done better just being an um, index fund, the S&P 500. Dan? We're always trying to follow the capital markets and see what's changing and what's not being provided. Um, if you look 10 years ago, I think every, I think 20% of the real estate deals were done with private capital. Now 84% of the real estate deals are done with private capital. I think 10 years ago, pension funds were allocating 2% to private equity real estate. Now they're allocating 20%. So as a capital provider, we're looking um, and it changes, you know, every year or two. Where can we add value in the capital stack in whatever industry we're in that others aren't so we can specify ourselves? And sometimes when you, when you go places you haven't gone before, you can get hurt very, very badly. So we've done deals where we got hurt very badly, and, and we've learned from that, and you know, hopefully you don't make those mistakes again. Thank you. Gene, your path? 
Uh, it's almost been laser focused on oil and gas, but all the other stuff that I wound up becoming involved in came about because investors or partners in oil and gas had something else that they wanted me to take a look at. So it's been you know, almost as it came. Chanel? Several investors, and that includes family offices, hedge funds, have utilized the U.S. Virgin Islands Tax Incentive Program as their niche market. Um, one key example would be, though, Diageo utilized a partnership with the Virgin Islands Public Finance Authority to for revenue bonds as part of a, as a strong motivator to actually open up a facility in St. Croix. Another example is the opening of Home Depot in the Virgin Islands, where they utilize the tax increment financing, TIF, to build their project. Thank you. Um, Alejandro, has your reputation for investment in the niche been a major source of deal referrals, or was it a holding you had or have that helps you source deal flow? So in our, in our case, it's a bit different than most um, you know, funds or uh, family offices. In our particular case, we approach sourcing deals as hyper-specialized operators, and that actually gives us uh, a better flow of deals, hyper-qualified deals, and um, yeah, through that, we've uh, that that has been a niche that allows us to to get uh, you know far more deals than a lot of the uh, the groups within our weight class. Jamie. Yeah, a lot of um, stuff comes from referrals, especially from founders. So the best um, you know, introduction is a warm referral, because I'm sure almost everybody here gets hundreds, if not thousands, of emails a month. I mean, I call them spam sometimes, for lack of a better term, sometimes via LinkedIn, sometimes via email, and even though through WhatsApp or Telegram. But the um, best way is um, you know, warm referrals, especially from a founder that you've invested in. Dan? Yeah, we never did any marketing. Between my dad and I, we did enough deals where everybody kind of knew who we were as we scaled up and were able to access more capital. This is the first year we've spoke on panels and done things like that, and it's been very beneficial to originating uh, good, you know, good deal flow. Thank you. Gene, reputation or holding? Uh, neither one in, in our corporate deal flow, and we were, we were flowing 2,000 deals a year with a staff of about 20 people to take a look at and source deals. And most of it was done early on by networking, uh, by gaining membership and then officer positions in national and regional technical and professional associations, going to the meetings, attending the meetings, doing presentations there. And then over time, uh, as I morphed and, and became retired uh, from active corporate work and just started doing personal stuff, it, it mostly came about because we would go ahead and then I would go ahead and be able to do analysis quickly and give a response. So the primary, from us, uh, the primary thing is we got a reputation of being able to take a look at a deal quickly, tell the people who were offering it to us whether or not it fit, and don't let it sit on the table. Chanel? Our private partner, public partnerships, have definitely led to referrals. Um, I mentioned a couple examples already, but in addition to that, many aren't aware that we are exactly ex actually exempt from the Jones Act. And that was a major um, indicator for the reopening of our oil refinery on St. Croix. Now, being 
the only nation exempt from the Jones Act that allows foreign vessels to actually come to the Virgin Islands, U.S. Virgin Islands, and then make another stop in the mainland U.S. without having to, to transfer the raw materials to a American vessel. So that allows companies to have two stops in the U.S. Thank you. Alejandro, we've seen many take it the diversification lessons of wealth management over to direct investments, which can lead to complexities, challenging due diligence, overstretched team members. What do you see as the downside versus upside of your niche focus? Okay, so I'm, I'm not really an expert in capital markets. However, um, having said that, I, you know, I, don't, I don't think that um, passive strategies or portfolio theory applies to uh, startup investing, at least in my case, right, at the VC stage, at the angel stage, because, you know, the, while, uh, you know, these uh, passive strategies may work in an efficient market, these markets are very inefficient. And, you know, you should actually capitalize on those inefficiencies, leverage them, and really be very specific in the deals that you source. So that would be my approach, you know, if you're getting into, if you want to diversify, you know, go buy an ETF or a mutual fund. Yeah, I think a big thing too with um, diversification is sizing. So you can do almost anything you want as long as you do it small enough. And a lot of times in startups or crypto or even in any kind of investment, if you start smaller and then if someone's proven they execute and everything's working, then you can um, pyramid up. Dan? Uh, so since we're, we have a broad mandate, we really rely on our, our partners, our operating partners who we, we, we only finance who we believe have institutional knowledge of an industry. So we might have not done coal mining or potash. We're looking at a $200 million potash deal or, or whatever it might be. Um, but if the management team's strong and has a, you know, a history of operating in the sector, then that's why they're getting promoted. And, 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 and that allows us to enter into various, in, various different asset classes and industries given that we might not have that type of expertise. Gene? Uh, with, a niche, <clears throat> with a niche focus, uh, the upside is that you get a good pipeline of deals started and moving year after year, and your due diligence costs start to go down uh, because you keep seeing the same things. On the downside, when the markets turn against you, it's really, really hard to laterally arabesque into something else. Chanel? For many of our family offices that have joined the tax incentive program, um, one good example is within the first year for one of our companies, they actually saved $1 million. $1 million in their first year. Because of that, they actually opened um, a back office for another portion of their portfolio in the Virgin Islands, and so now they are receiving tax incentives on both of their um, their entities. And we're seeing that time and time again because of the upside of lowering your taxes. Now the downside would be if they don't see the expected revenue or growth, then there's a potential for lost jobs. And that is um, a major focus of the program is job creation. Thank you. Uh, in, in a few minutes, we're going to ask the audience for questions. If you can start to think of what you'd like to ask. Uh, any of the panelists that make the panel more interactive and more valuable, we, we would appreciate that. The, the next question is, what has been the number one best source of deals in co-investors who are like-minded so other investors here can follow in your footsteps in their niche space? The number one best source of deals. 
So back to, not, not the previous question, but the one before, um, it's, it's the same answer, basically. Uh, the fact that we approach it as a hyper, a kind of our, our tactic to, or our honeypot is to really offer hyper-specialized services and through that source, very qualified deal flow. Um, kind of like I said before, the referrals, but also becoming a mentor at some of the top tier accelerators in different um, fields and technology and even in, in cannabis and things like that. Uh, can you repeat the question? What has been the number one best source of deals and co-investors? So for us, I built a big network of other uh, executives at very large private equity funds and or family offices, so st stuff that's not in their mandate. Sometimes we'll share fees with and, um, and, and, and investors and information. And when they refer a CEO or an operator to us, I mean, it's a, it's a very high level referral, so we don't have to go through a, a large chain. So, uh, f folks at very large funds have been very beneficial to, to referring us stuff. Gene? In my case over the years, it's been independent engineers and geologists uh, basically show up on my doorstep with a great idea. And Chanel? For us, it's really events just like this, having the opportunity to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with like-minded people where we can see the value of our tax incentives meeting the needs of your wealth management. Okay. Now we're going to go reverse order here with the next question. If there was a place anywhere in the USA that gives you Jones Act incentive, TIF, tax incentives, 1031 exchange, qualified opportunity zones, QOZs, where would it be? The U.S. Virgin Islands. <laughs> Indeed, we are the only place in the USA under the American flag, U.S. currency, U.S. law, U.S. protection, where you can layer TIF, Opportunity Zones, tax incentives, 1031 exchange, exempt from the Jones Act. I can keep going, but I, I want to give other people the opportunity to say <laughs> that they don't know anywhere else besides the U.S. Virgin Islands. Gene, do you have any data on that? I think she answered for me. <laughs> Dan? Okay. Jamie? Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of um, leave that basically up to her, but also um, becoming a resident for state tax where they don't have any tax for state, that's good too, like Florida. <laughs> yeah, again, I'll take her word for it, although I like Puerto Rico as well, to be honest. When, when we hear the word taxes, we can't hear anymore. The right, okay. <laughs> Nothing works anymore. Okay. Um, Chanel, how do you look at long-term investment versus short-term investment? So our program actually, if the family office, private equity, or the company domiciles in St. Croix, the program extends for 30 years. In St. Thomas, St. John, or Water Island, for 20 years. There is an option for a one-time extension for 10 years, and if the investment is over a million dollars, there's an additional extension for five years, and if the investment is over $10 million over that time period, there's also an extension for 10 years. So you're looking at 45 years of long-term planning by reducing your taxes in the Virgin Islands. Now we have had um, situations where companies have identified that the uh, 
program doesn't fit their needs, and so they, there are exceptions and waivers, as well as the opportunity for suspensions of the benefits, but we've seen many companies that have lasted well over 10, 20, 30 years within our program. Long-term versus short-term, Gene. Well, being in the business I'm in, wells generally are long-term. Typically, I've invested in wells or drilled wells that have economic lives of 50 to 100 years. The key is to find a way to monetize it within the first three, four, or five years. And there's a lot of different ways to monetize your investments, and that's some of what I've done. Dan? I, th I think a simple response, if I can get my money back fast, sure, I'll take it with the total return. So I, I kind of look at it like, um, you know, long term in the stock market over time is where wealth created in real estate. And um, I kind of look at things like 70, 20, 10, 70% 70 investing in, in core, 20% complementary to your core, and the last 10% kind of like other bets, which could be startups or very risky investments. And a lot of times in startups, you know, you think in 80 companies, 100 companies, half of them might go to zero. You know, 20 or 30%, you might just get one, two to three X. And you're hoping in the last 10% that one of them becomes the next Facebook or Uber that, you know, returns the whole thing multiple times. Alejandro? So, so we look, uh, you know, we're not really looking for unicorns. We're looking for growth and profitability, and we invest in relationships. So we're looking at it 20, 30 years from now. So long term, I'd say. Thank you. And Ms. Chanel, how do you look at foreign investment challenges versus maintaining exclusive domestic investments? So we actually get, um, we, our program is applicable for not just American citizens, but also for foreign um, individuals. The difference for us is that um, investors, whatever they have to go through in terms of visas, etc., the same applies for the U.S. Virgin Islands. But we do have our international finance services entity that I could provide more information on for our, our foreign investors. But the majority of our investors currently in our program are from American soil. Gene? Well, I've, I've done both foreign and domestic. Uh, and the different foreign investments have their challenges, but they also have their upside potentials. The U.S., on the other hand, has been a fantastic place in our industry to be looking at doing things. So I'd go both ways. So I don't know. Everybody's trying to get into the U.S., so I, I think I'd hang around here. Um, there's a lot of opportunity we've invested in Mexico and other places. Uh, you have a lot of challenges uh, depending on uh, what you're doing. So there's, you know, most of the capital in the world is trying to flow into America, into this deal flow. So, if, you know, we, we prefer to stay, stay home. Jamie? Yeah, I would say mostly U.S. I mean, there may be some companies that have um, that are foreign but have a U.S. entity. And then in crypto, it was kind of the opposite. A U.S. company would set up an entity in Switzerland or somewhere like that. Yeah, so I'll take the opposite approach. I actually, you know, a lot of my investments and a lot of the companies are in the in the blockchain space and the regulatory framework in the U.S. just isn't there. So our prime focus has shifted east to, to Asia. Thank you. We're now going to open it up to the audience for questions. Please, no political related questions and no questions about whether someone wants to invest in your specific deal you're trying to close right now. The question should be something will benefit everyone by hearing and having answered. See some hands up here. Question for Dan. 
Um, how do you structure your deals if you're dealing with, say, independent syndicator or a team of people that does syndication and then on the equity side? Uh, we basically tell them we'll take all the equity. Um, we, don't, we don't need you guys to syndicate and move out of the way. Um, we'll, we'll take, we'll take the, the whole piece. You guys, depending on the sponsor, do the other piece, or we could put up the money and do a uh, fee share or structuring deal. But usually our investors will write one check. We can get guys to write one hundred, two hundred million dollar check. So we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't have to deal with that. And then what sizes do you look at? So we'll go. We'll start at a five hundred thousand to a million. If it's something that has some scale and you know we think has legs to it, and, and it's amazing. But you know we get paid by putting out more money. So the more money we put out, the easier. So doing big deals is a great thing. But we also are serving a lot of spots that nobody else is. So we'll do smaller deals, we'll invest with general partner, we can do debt, we could do mezzanine, preferred equity. We can structure pretty much, we have very entrepreneurial capital and we're very user friendly. So we can pretty much structure anything on the fly as we see fit. See another question? You read. Yes, Matthew. I just have a question about foreign investment. It seems like the general consensus is the money is flowing into the U.S. It's safe, solid, stable. But I'm a big believer in Southeast Asia, Vietnam, and the like, barring the fact that it's a one-party government. I've spent some time there. I'm in the yachting industry, and things like marinas and the growing industry in Asia, the affluence that's coming is here now. And the, the quest for, uh, to join the party by these individuals, how do you see that as an investment opportunity, Southeast Asia in particular? Well, first of all, there's a global shortage of marinas. We've financed them. So everywhere there's a global shortage. Number two, when you said it seems like they're capitalistic, that's right. scary. Yes, why, so, why so there is a, a trepidation uh, with these. It's a third world country with a lot of corruption. Um, so well, there's, there's, there's going to be assets trading in America. You can go to Detroit and buy a house for $2,000. I mean, so why not stay here? Roger why, that. why go to Vietnam? All right, thank you. Hi, I'm Randy. I've been a real estate lender since 1985 and uh, recently I've gotten a lot of projects in the Caribbean and there is a vacuum of lenders to do acquisition development and high-end residential. Is, uh, is there any interest there from the people on the stage? I'm actually forming a joint venture with my colleagues here from the Caribbean, and we have access to some pension funds out there. We, we've, we've, we've seen that. And there's, there's actually the pension funds on the Caribbean want to invest into America as well, but they also need joint venture capital. So we would have an interest in looking at those deals. Also, I'll add to that. Um, 
So of course, the U.S. Virgin Islands is in the Caribbean, and part of our IFSC, or International Financial Services Entity, it actually encourages um, financing institutions, banks, to relocate in the territory. And the Economic Development Authority is a one-stop shop. So if there's an opportunity in the U.S. Virgin Islands where you're looking for um, additional resources, we're a good place to stop so we can actually identify some of those resources that you need. Thank you. Uh, my question is for Alejandro and James. Uh, what is the timeline for usually you do uh, the due diligence for a uh, startup in early stage when I stay ready with uh, uh, two or three use cases up front in, under agreement? So. So, so, sorry, your question is what are due diligence? Yeah, the parameter? timeline when you, uh, you uh, need it for uh, the checking everything for startups so it, it really it really depends you know it depends on the complexity of, of the deal uh, the relationship to the founders where it was sourced from but it can go as quick as you know three two or three weeks over to maybe a couple of months yeah so my timeline kind of varies um, if it came from an accelerator like YC or 500 startups it's probably gonna be a lot quicker but if it came from another source then I have to really take the time to see can the team raise the money that they need to, f to close the deal? And I always would look at the tech to make sure, you know, is it too early or is it just a good idea? Because some of these things people raised hundreds of millions of dollars for, and they're not scams, they're legitimate products, but they can't release the product because the tech isn't there yet. Thank you. Hi, I have a question for Chanel. Um, back here. <laughs> Yes, I've heard all these uh, positive, all these advantages of the U.S. Uh, Virgin Islands, and I'm, I guess I just kind of want to know a little bit about maybe some disadvantages. Um, my understanding from just conversation, as a, I know there's a five-employee um, requirement, is it a requirement to have your primary location there, and is there um, a minimum amount of time that you're supposed to spend there, and can you kind of just go into that a little bit, please? Sure, no problem. So the minimum of five employees is, ex is for financial service companies. Outside of financial service companies, the minimum employment, the minimum employment is 10 employees. But for both, 80% of your employees have to be locals. Um, and then 20% of the technical or manager positions also have to be locals. Um, a couple other questions you asked in regards to... Well, just any disadvantages, I mean, because there's a lot of positives, of yes. course, so I just yes. didn't... Is there something I might be missing? <laughs> so we are on an island. That, I mean, if you are wanting an island lifestyle, to take advantage of the personal income tax reduction, um, the principal does have to reside in the Virgin Islands for 183 days. So they have to become a bona fide resident. However, to take advantage of the 90% reduction in corporate income tax, the company simply has to domicile in the Virgin Islands. And it does not have to be the headquarters. It could be the back office, the call center, accounting, HR. Um, we've seen many restructuring of businesses where they put a portion of their business in the territory, and whatever is sourced from the Virgin Islands receives those reductions. Keeping in mind that the Virgin Islands has a mirror tax code. So if the tax rate in the U.S. is 21%, we're reducing it by 90%. So your tax rate then becomes 
2.1%. So if your taxable income is $10 million, and in the US, your 21% tax rate, you're paying 2.1 million, whereas in the US, at, 21, at 10 million taxable income, your tax rate is 2.1%, you're paying $210,000. So, so yeah, just really Hello? quickly, I'm oh, sorry. sorry, just really quickly. So you're saying that you could potentially have um, have the exemption on the corporate side and not the personal if you chose not to live there? Yes, that's okay. correct. Thank you. Hi, um, I'm over here. Um, my name is Pondway. I run a startup here. And my question is about um, how you all work around uh, with entrepreneurs post-investment. So what's your firm's criteria or thought process about um, post-investment? So do you just invest capital? Do you provide additional support for growth, particularly if you're looking at developing out uni unicorns? Do you co-invest? Are you a lead? Those kinds of things. Okay, so in our case, we co-invest, but we're also activists. So we're involved almost 100% on product. So in my case, um, a lot of it's co-investing, but um, you know, if the founder needs something, they can always text me or if they want to talk something over and if they need help in a certain way, and I'll try to help them with my network, introduce them to people that they need as far as other co-investors or hiring people or things of that nature. Um, we aren't interested in startups, but when we do make uh, investments into larger companies or transactions, we are actively heavily involved. That's how we get our promote. Final, final question, and we're out of time. Yeah, hi. Uh, Chanel, can you just expand a little bit on uh, for family offices who will make an investment in multinational businesses and the current uh, tariff uh, wars that are taking place, what advantage does the Virgin Islands offer for manufacturing who are trying to mitigate the tariff situation? So customs duty is reduced to 1%. Um, once you're within our program. And as already mentioned, unlike Puerto Rico, we are the only territory nation that's exempt from the Jones Act, which does, again, allows um, uh, manufacturers to bring in raw materials, have some value add in the Virgin Islands, maintain on that same foreign vessel, and then move to, uh, towards the mainland USA. Okay. I'd like to thank our panel very much. We've run out of time. And thank you all very much for your great questions.